everyone. My name is Haley Elizabeth, and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast where once a week I sit down and I talk about all things true crime, ranging from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. And so if you're interested in any of that, you can head over to the YouTube channel every Wednesday to watch the visual version, or you could head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts every Tuesday for the audio version. Now for today's case, we are going to be talking about the case of Ellen Greenberg. Now there is a lot to get through, so we're just going to hop right into it. Ellen was born on June 23rd, 1983 to her father, Josh, and her mother, Sandy, in northern New Jersey as an only child. When she was younger, she was described as very fun, loving, just a big personality with a contagious smile. Like even now when you look at pictures of Ellen, like you can just tell that she has the type of smile that can light up any room. And even everyone around her always said that no matter like where Ellen was, whenever you saw her, she was either smiling or laughing. And then after middle school, that is when her and her parents decided to move to Harrisburg, New York. She went to Susquehanna Township High School and she was described in high school to be a very, very smart girl. She had a very caring personality and she was also absolutely gorgeous. She was super involved in her school and not only did academic clubs but she also worked for a couple of non-profit charity organizations and she was also on her school's softball and golf team. After high school she attended Penn State and it was there where she majored in communications and her same bubbly personality that she had in high school followed her all the way to college. She was the one who definitely brought the school spirit to like all of the games and stuff like that. She was one of the tour guides for the schools. So if like high school seniors or just anyone that wanted a tour of the school, she would be one of those guides. And she would also just help out with the school in general. Like anytime they needed help, she would also help them out a lot on the football field and all of the sports that they had at Penn State. Ellen was just overall known in college for being so warming and outgoing. Ellen was the type of girl that everybody knew because she just again lit up every single room and she talked to everyone. She was described as that type of girl that if there's a group of people and there's that one person that's not really talking or they're just kind of you know sitting very awkwardly not really knowing what to say, she was the type of person that would try to ask that person questions and reel them into the conversation so they didn't feel left out and honestly god bless people like that because personally I especially in high school was a very shy person and it was those couple of times where people like Ellen would sort of talk to me and reel me into conversations and it would honestly make me feel so happy to like you know be recognized and that was the type of person that Ellen was. After college she had dreams of becoming a speech pathologist but when she tried it she just realized it wasn't for her. She didn't really want to work in the medical field so then that is when she switched her careers a little bit and after college she started taking night classes at Temple University to earn her teaching certifications and become a teacher and as she was shooting for her teaching certification that is when she met a man by the name of Sam Goldberg through mutual friends at a party. As far as Sam, Sam grew up in the area but he also grew up into wealth. His family had a lot of money but although his family had a lot of money, Sam himself was very accomplished. He had been a TV producer.
producer for NBC for seven years and then later got a job at golf.com. So he was making pretty good money, although his family already had money. And it was said that Ellen and Sam absolutely loved each other. They got along so well. A lot of people would say they were twin flames. And so when the two began talking, they shortly after started dating and they seemed very, very happy. I mean, Ellen was head over heels for Sam and they even started to build a future with one another. It seemed like things were really going well for the couple. They moved into an apartment together. They both had successful jobs and Sam even proposed to Ellen. So Ellen was currently engaged. Now, all of this was happening back in 2010 and things were really going well for not just Ellen and Sam, but Ellen herself. She was engaged and planning her wedding. She also just got her very first teaching job as a first grade teacher at Juanita Park Academy and she loved her job. She actually got the job because Sam's father, so Ellen's father-in-law, worked at the school and she had the perfect personality to be a teacher. She was very, very loving with kids. She had this very maternal nature about her. It was very attentive, but she also just had this electric personality that she could really get the kids excited to learn. And when you're a teacher, that is like your number one goal. Some teachers who worked at the school said that usually when kids walk into their classroom and they see a substitute, they kind of get excited that there's a substitute because they're thinking about stirring up trouble or switching around, but not Ellen's kids. When Ellen's kids walked into the classroom and saw that there was a sub instead of Ellen, they got so sad. They wanted Ellen back. That's just how much her kids loved her. And so as you can see, Ellen's life is really going well for her. And so because of that, it was very surprising when Ellen's mother, Sandy, gets a call from Ellen saying that she wants to move back home. Her parents were obviously very confused because they thought that Ellen was living the life. She was so excited to plan her wedding, start her new life with Sam. She planned on actually getting married in August of that year at the Hershey Hotel. And if you guys don't know, the Hershey Hotel is a very famous hotel. It's very, very expensive and there's a long waiting list to even get in. So the fact that she was having her wedding here, it was such a big deal. And so her parents question her as to why she wants to make this big change and move back home. And Ellen gives answers, but it was nothing specific. It was just more vague, like, oh, lately I've been really stressed out. I've been in a flunk and unable to pull myself out of it. So she just feels like maybe a change of scenery would be best for her. And mind you, at this time, Ellen and Sam lived together in Pennsylvania while Ellen's parents still lived back home in Harrisburg, New York, a little over five hours away. So that was another reason why moving in with her parents surprised them so much because if she moved back to New York, she would have to leave everything in Pennsylvania behind. Like the wonderful job she had just gotten, she would have to leave Sam, her new apartment, her wedding planning, all of her friends. And so instead of making this big jump and just moving back home, her parents decided to tell Ellen that if she's feeling burnt out to see a psychiatrist before making any big decisions. And so that's exactly what she did. She went to three appointments on January 12th, 
17th and 19th of 2011, and at the end of her three appointments, the psychiatrist suggested maybe some anti-anxiety medication, and it took a couple of tries, a couple of doses to get the perfect dose for her, but once she actually got the right medication for her, she felt on top of the world. Sandy, Ellen's mom, said that Ellen would call her just with this brand new personality, like she was her old self. Ellen would call her mom telling her how good she felt to be on her new meds. She had this new motivation. She had refound her lust for life and she was getting her bounce back and even started to work on wedding plans again. And she even sent out all of her invitations, like her save the date invitations for her family and friends for her and Sam's wedding. That same weekend that she sent out the invitations, Ellen actually went dress shopping with a friend who that friend was also getting married and Ellen was a bridesmaid and this friend would go to say that Ellen when she picked her up just was very off. Usually Ellen was the type of girl that always got dressed up. She always had her makeup done, her hair done. She just always looked very put together but when she picked up Ellen she said that her hair was not done. She wasn't wearing any makeup. She was wearing baggy clothes. Just looked very disheveled as if something had happened to her and so this was very odd for Ellen but the friend didn't really say anything. Maybe Ellen's just having a rough day. So they drive to the wedding dress place. They start trying on wedding dresses and as her friend is putting on her dress she hears Ellen in her dressing room kind of crying quietly and so her friend asks Ellen through the door like hey is everything okay in there? What's wrong? And then Ellen comes out and she just apologizes and continues crying and she says, I'm sorry. I know I don't look my best right now. I just, I don't feel my best right now. Everything's going to be fine. I just, I need to get it together. Don't worry about me. This is your big day. We should be talking about you. But her friend kind of pushed it a little bit and her friend said, you know, that's okay. Like, don't worry about me. I'm going to go to so many other wedding dress places. I, I care about you. I want you to talk to me about whatever's going on. But Ellen said, no, don't worry about me. This is your big day. We should be excited. And then Ellen just kind of switched the subject real quickly. And after that, it was never really brought up again. And Ellen's father-in-law, who worked at the same school as Ellen, said that everyone absolutely loved Ellen. And she always came into work every day with a big smile. But he did notice that Ellen's workload was starting to get a little overwhelming for her. Trying to, you know, keep up this very electric, outgoing personality when you don't really feel like that on the inside can just be so draining and it can have long-lasting mental health effects and he feels that at this time Ellen was starting to experience that. So then on January 26th of 2011, Ellen went to work in the morning but there was a really bad blizzard and so she was able to leave work early because of it. On her way home, she got gas at 1.26 p.m. and then went home. 
On this day, Sam also went home early because of the blizzard, and so he spent some time with Ellen, and Sam said that Ellen didn't really seem off or anything, she just seemed like her normal self. And then from Ellen's computer history, we can see that she did some grading on some tests, and then did some more wedding planning on the computer, and then at 4.50 p.m., that is when Sam goes to their gym in the apartment building. He's in there for about 30 minutes before leaving the gym at 5.00. 5.30 and you can see him leaving the gym on security footage in the apartment building. Sam says that when he goes to his apartment, he can't get in because there's the swing latch that is locked on the inside. As a lot of you guys know, with swing latches, those latches can only be locked from the inside. Like, it's impossible to lock it from the outside. And so, he starts knocking, thinking that Ellen will come to the door, and then when he gets no response, he starts to bang on on the door. He starts to yell out Ellen's name as well as calling and texting her, but there was no answer. And this is actually confirmed because neighbors, when they heard Sam screaming for Ellen, they came outside to see what was going on. And although Sam said that he tried calling a bunch and texting a bunch, phone records show that all he ever sent off was nine text messages, an email, and zero calls. The text messages went like this. At 5.32 p.m., Sam sent hello, question mark, and then followed up with, quote, open the door. After these messages, instead of calling Ellen, he calls Sandy, Ellen's mom, to tell her mom that he can't get inside. So Sandy's like, why are you calling me? Like, you should be calling Ellen. So she says, maybe she's in the shower, maybe she's taking a nap and she can't hear you. And so Sam hangs up and texts Ellen again at 5.35 p.m. saying, quote, what are you doing with two question marks and two exclamation marks? And then at 5.36 p.m., he says, quote, I'm getting pissed off. At 5.41 p.m., he texts hello with eight exclamation points. At 5.54 p.m., 13 minutes later, he says, quote, you better have an excuse. And then right after that text message, again at 5.54, he sends an email to Ellen with the subject saying, quote, open, and the email saying, quote, the effing door. At 5.57 p.m., he writes another text saying, what the F with four exclamation points and ah with three exclamation points. And so security footage shows that after these messages were sent, Sam comes downstairs and goes up to the apartment building security guard and asks him if he has a key to open up the door or maybe he has something to unlock the swing latch with so that he could get into his apartment upstairs. And so the security guard says that he doesn't have a key, nor does he have anything to open the door. And even if he did, he's not allowed to do that. Maybe Sam is trying to go in there for malicious purposes. Maybe he's not supposed to be in there. If someone is trying to lock him out of the apartment, there's probably a reason. And so the security guard is just staying out of it. He's like, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And so one minute later, Sam is seen on security footage getting back on the elevator to go back up to his apartment. 
And then at 6.11 p.m., Sam sends another text saying, quote, you have no idea. And then at 6.14 p.m., instead of calling Ellen, which would be the obvious option, Sam actually calls his cousin, Camian Schwartzman, and this call lasted about six minutes from 6.14 to 6.19. And then after that, at 6.21, Sam is seen on security footage going back to the lobby, sitting down for a little bit, and then at 6.24, Sam gets a call from his uncle James, who is Camian's dad, and James is actually a pretty big character in this story. James Schwartzman is a famous judge in Philadelphia. He works on the ethics board for the state of Philadelphia and is the president of Pennsylvania Court of Judicial Discipline. Now, I say James is a pretty big character in this story because, as you will see later, a lot of the legal vagueness always kind of points back to James, but we'll get into that in a minute. So, Sam has this conversation with James and then hangs up and then talks to the security guard right after he's done with this phone conversation and asks the security guard if he'd be able to accompany him while he breaks down his own door upstairs since nobody wants to help him. And the security guard says, no, I cannot leave the lobby. This is my job to keep tabs on who's coming in and who's coming out. I can't go up there and condone you breaking down your own door. And so after this, Sam would later come out several more times to ask the security guard and all times the security guard said no. Now, this is a key piece of evidence because when Sam is later talking to the police, he says that he actually was accompanied by a security guard when he broke down his door. But the security man would said that him nor did any of the staff go upstairs with him and on the lobby security footage, you can see that no one goes up there with Sam while he's breaking down his door. And so Sam says that at 6.31 p.m., that is when he broke down the door with this mystery guard. And when he walks into the apartment, that is when he finds Ellen sitting on the kitchen floor with her feet and legs extended out, kind of in a hunched over position. And she was unresponsive. And so that is when Sam calls the police. Now, before I I include the phone call. I just want to give a content warning that the scene that he's describing is a little graphic and it could be triggering to some people if you are very sensitive to gore or violence, but I want you to more analyze Sam's response as well as his tone going in and out of panic as the conversation continues. So, there's a couple of odd things about this. The first thing is that Sam doesn't even realize that there is a knife in Ellen's chest until three minutes into the phone call. And for the first three minutes of the phone call, he is directed by the dispatcher to start performing CPR. And it's not like Ellen had like super long hair or something that could be covering her chest. If his intention was to do CPR and he even looked at her chest for a second, he would clearly see that there was a knife in her chest, but it took him a whole three minutes to realize that. At 6.31, the call was made, and then at 6.33, that is when the paramedics were dispatched, so they weren't at the apartment yet. They were just on their way, and then at 6.34, a man who quote-unquote looks like 
like Sam's cousin, who Sam had called earlier, remember Camion. On security footage, you can see him going up to Sam's apartment, and then two minutes later, that is when the paramedics show up. Now, this is also a very odd detail because how would Camion know about the state of Ellen at the time? Sam said that as soon as he saw Ellen, he immediately called the police and the paramedics. There would be no time for Sam to call his cousin in the midst of doing CPR and on the phone with the paramedics. It would only make sense that his cousin knew about something beforehand. And like also the fact that he showed up before the paramedics. Although this man in the security footage looks like Camion, Sam's family has denied this claim. And so because of that, and also I don't want to get sued, I am not claiming this person to be Camion. We are just analyzing the similarities in the two. So when the paramedics actually get to the crime scene, paramedics and officers walk in and immediately there are things off about the scene. The knife block is tipped over and right next to the knife block was a cut up orange as well as blueberries in a strainer as if prior to this incident, someone was trying to cut up fruit, maybe trying to make a fruit bowl. Ellen was found on the floor with her legs out and hunched over, which was odd because again, Sam was instructed to give CPR. So with this placement, it kind of seems like Sam didn't touch Ellen at all. Beside Ellen was a pair of glasses and in her left hand was a clean and plain white towel. Now this is another piece of really odd evidence because Ellen at this time, her whole body and surroundings were just covered in blood. There was blood all over the kitchen, all over her. And so the fact that she had a clean, crisp white towel in her hand, it seemed as if someone had planted that towel. But unfortunately, Ellen was determined as dead on scene. And so the police brought her body to the hospital and found that Ellen wasn't just stabbed once, but she was stabbed 20 times. Some of the stab wounds were on the back of her head. There was a huge gash at the top of her head, stabs on her neck, the back of her neck, her chest, her upper stomach, and there was a knife still in her chest when she was found. She also had bruises all over her body in different stages of the healing process on the back of her legs, right arm, and abdomen as if these bruises had happened over a long period of time. Doctors described her injuries to be similar to someone in contact sports like football or soccer. Police arrive and the apartment security from earlier says that he actually recalls a conversation when he was down in the lobby between two officers. One of the officers was kind of catching up the other one on what was going on upstairs, and he remembers one of the officers saying, quote, you've got a murder upstairs. And at one point, Sam's uncle, James, actually shows up and demanded to go upstairs, but the police obviously denied it because what they have upstairs is now a crime scene, and so he was just forced to stay out. Now, this is another one of those things that you will see come up a lot in this case of just things that make no sense. So, a very odd occurrence is that the residents from the apartment building say that they saw Sam 
Graham walking out of the building in handcuffs, but wasn't really sure for what, because at this point, it was clear that Ellen had a stab wound in her chest and she was indeed dead when they found her, but there was nothing that the police could really charge and arrest Sam for yet. They had done no DNA testing, no fingerprint testing. The police hadn't done an investigation on Sam yet and had not enough evidence to arrest him, and so why he was leaving in handcuffs was just super odd. Sam was indeed taken to the station, but was later released that day, and then the next day, Sam's uncle calls the building manager for Sam and Ellen's apartment and says that he demands to be taken upstairs to Sam and Ellen's apartment because he needs to grab a suit for Sam for Ellen's funeral. The receptionist that's taking this call is kind of thinking like, okay, um, let me ask my manager because there was an actual crime scene in there yesterday, so I'm not sure if people are allowed in there. But surprisingly, when the receptionist had asked her manager, her her manager just said, yeah, like, let him in. That's fine. Like, completely okay. Just let him into the apartment. If he's just grabbing a suit, that's fine. And so, the receptionist very hesitantly tells James, like, okay, yeah, they said you can go in there. And so, she hangs up the phone and she waits for James's arrival to let him into the apartment, but she just had this really weird gut feeling that something was off. And so, what she did was, before James got there, she actually went up to the apartment and took a video of the apartment showing everything of where everything was placed before the uncle got there, just in case something was missing when the uncle left. And thank God this receptionist did this because the police found, comparing the footage on her phone and the crime scene after James had left it, they found that James had actually taken Ellen's personal laptop, Ellen's business laptop, Sam's laptop, and Ellen's phone. The day after this, the police had ordered a search warrant and were able to get back all of the laptops and the phone from James. After all of this was retrieved, that is when the doctor started to do an autopsy on Ellen, trying to figure out what her cause of death was. Now, the doctor who did this autopsy, Dr. Osborne, Dr. Osborne ruled Ellen's death as a homicide. Ellen was found with 20 stab wounds, and that's not something you just do to yourself. These stab wounds were found in places that one cannot reach by themselves, like the back of the neck, at the back of the head, like on top of the head. Those are all places that you don't really go to when you're trying to hurt yourself. Usually, it's the places that are more accessible to you. So, obviously, this was a homicide. But the next day, the coroner's office had backtracked and said that it wasn't a homicide. It was just undetermined. And then on February 18th, 2011, three weeks later, that is when Dr. Osborne would change the cause of death to 
to suicide. The doctor said that later on, he did indeed change the cause of death after having meetings with the district attorney offices, officers from the police station, and his boss, the chief medical examiner. He said that he changed the cause of death because he was given more time to analyze the crime scene photos, the crime scene itself, Ellen's body, and her medical history. Because remember how I was saying earlier that on uh, her medical history, it said that she had gone to a psychiatrist three times and she was currently on anti-anxiety medication. And so, he said that due to these factors, that's why he believes it was a suicide, just because she was on some anti-anxiety medications. But the detectives on the case had actually made a 3D anatomical creation of Ellen's wounds and what they looked like. The stab wounds on her body were seen on her chest, her neck. She had a huge gash on the top of her head, as well as stabs to her back in places that you physically could not do yourself. And what it seems like from the outside is that whoever had stabbed Ellen this many times had hit her over the head because of the huge gash on the back of her head. And then when she was knocked out, that is when she was stabbed. But the doctor said that there is no way this could be a homicide because there was no defensive wounds found on her. There was one famous uh, doctor that wasn't on the case, but he was just analyzing her body. And he said himself that there were these two specific stab wounds that went through her spine and her brain. And these stabs would have been so painful, it would be unbearable to continue stabbing herself. Like her whole body would just go numb due to the pain. And so there is no way that she could have done all of this herself and this was a suicide. And so when this came out, the family, especially of Ellen, felt just so slapped in the face because they had been trying to get justice for Ellen. They've been trying to find the cold-blooded killer that would do this to their sweet, loving, and warm daughter. Yet everyone around them was just telling them that she just did it to herself. It just, it makes absolutely no sense. A lot of people believed that Sam was the killer and he was just being let off due to his connects and as well of his money. As I said, his family came from money. His uncle James was a huge, well-known lawyer. And so due to this being ruled as a suicide, Ellen's family just thought that it was not right. And so they had requested an independent autopsy by a woman named Dr. Adams. But but after this independent autopsy was done, the family had asked her like, oh, can we get the like paperwork for the independent autopsy? But it was said that Dr. Adams just said that she never did that. She says that she doesn't know what they're talking about. She's never done an independent autopsy on Ellen. She has no recollection of it, nor does she have any reports or anything that claim that she even touched Ellen. She has no receipts, no reports, therefore it never happened. And this was very odd for the family because they're kind of getting gaslighted in a way of like, wait, we just asked you to do this independent autopsy. And then when we ask you about the results of it, you're pretending like you never spoke to us in the first place. And so again, just all these really weird things are happening as soon as someone gets a little too close to figuring out what 
actually happened. So clearly something is going on and this is just so, so frustrating that everyone is just bypassing the family. Everyone is just trying to shove it under the rug as quick as possible and there was actually a famous criminal forensic pathologist by the name of Cyril Wett. He actually went on cases like the John F. Kennedy assassination, John Benet Ramsey, and when reviewing Ellen's case, he said that he has never seen anything like this before and can't wrap his head around how an actual medical examiner would rule this as a suicide. Another famous forensic scientist by the name of Henry Lee, who had worked on the O.J. Simpson trial, had also said that the the number of wounds, the type of wounds, and the blood patterns are all similar to that of a homicide. And if they don't want to rule it as a homicide, it should at least go undetermined because this was no suicide. Henry also noted that although Ellen's body was sitting upright when she was found, there was actually dried blood that dripped from her nose to the side of her ear, kind of going horizontal, and it was dried up blood. And that means that at one point, Ellen had to have been laying down for a long period of time in order for that blood to not only drip in that position, but also to be completely dry. A lot of psychiatrists on the case as well also pointed out that if the intention was just to off herself, this is a very violent way to go. Usually people who are in a very deep state of depression and they want to end their life, it's typically in a way that is very quick, very painless, because why would you want to suffer like that? And especially in this situation where Ellen had supposedly stabbed herself 20 different times and in all very odd positions, back of the neck, back of her leg, in her upper stomach, like all these places that you wouldn't really stab yourself in if the purpose was just to off yourself. And so the police also had pointed out in the apartment, the door latch, the swing door latch, was not taken off. This means that Sam most likely didn't break down the door after all, even though he said he would. If you just think about a swing latch, if it's locked and you're trying to open up that front door, if you put all your force, the lock will come off of the hinge. The lock will come off of the wall. But in this, it seemed like the lock wasn't even touched. It was like a little bit off of the wall, but the screws were still in there as if it wasn't even locked to begin with. And unfortunately, even to this day, Ellen's family is still trying to get the autopsy changed and re-examined. But the medical examiner's response to uh, like all this backlash of people telling them to re-examine Ellen's body, they said that due to the lack of defensive wounds, as well as the door latch, the medical examiner's office shouldn't be legally pressured to change their professional and considered determination. Meaning someone paid someone off, I'm not going to name any names, and that is why they have to rule this as a suicide and not a homicide so that there is no trial and there is no criminal case being open. And on top of the autopsy, they didn't even check the inside of Ellen to see if she was drugged, seeing if there was anything serious. It seemed as if they just saw Ellen and pushed her under the rug as quick as possible to pretend that she didn't even exist. 
And even after 12 years, the medical examiner's office refuses to look into the death of Ellen and still says that her death was a suicide. And as of this year, in January 2023, Ellen's parents are still fighting for justice. They're going on media outlets, they're going on interviews, they're still speaking to the press to try to get justice for Ellen. And as for their own theories, they do believe that James, Sam's uncle, was very heavily involved in the proceedings of most things throughout this case. They believe that James is the reason why they weren't able to get any justice for Ellen, and every time they came close to finding answers, those answers just disappeared. And so, even to this day, we don't really know what happened, but at the end of the day, Ellen was murdered. It's very, very obvious. There is no logical explanation that would point to how a human being can stab themselves with such force in places that our bodies just physically cannot reach on our own. And so clearly someone did this, yet we don't know who. Was it Sam? Was it Sam's cousin? Was it Sam's uncle? And so even to this day, her death is still still labeled a suicide and unfortunately that is the end of today's case. As I said, Ellen's parents are still fighting for justice, but it looks like nothing's really being done, and that's why I wanted to talk about this case. It's been 12 years since this happened, and her parents are still fighting for Ellen, and it's just so frustrating to see this case unravel because you can clearly see how people are being paid off, pretending as if nothing happened when something huge had happened. Someone lost their their life in the most gruesome and painful and slow death possible, yet no one is acting as if it's that big of a deal, and it's frustrating. But yes, that is the end of today's case. If you guys found this case interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you're on YouTube or if you're on Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts, make sure to rate it five stars because that really helps me out a lot. If you want to follow me on any of my socials, that will be linked down below, as well as my PO box if you want to send me anything. But yeah, that is all from me. Let me know in the comments below what you guys think, and I will see you guys next week.